I'm Aria Schwartz along with Rachel Galligan, and welcome to the Windsider Show where it's all about the W. The WNBA semifinals are here at last. The Chicago Sky are taking on the Connecticut Sun, while the Phoenix Mercury are taking on the Las Vegas Aces. It's time to get into it. like our show please consider joining our patreon community patreon.com backslash windsider for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w and don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content over at windsider.com remember downloading the episode makes our stats look better and allows us to continue doing this important work if you want to sponsor an episode of the windsider show or contribute in a different way email us at info at windsider.com that's info at windsider.com Rachel, it's WNBA semifinals day. It's, it is time to get intense. <laughs> it's it's a very complicated time. But before we get into the semifinals. Awards coming out. We got games tonight. It's great. We got everything. everything. Well, let's talk, let's talk about these awards. Let's start off with the biggest award. John Colt Jones takes home the MVP award. Uh, any surprise there by you? No. Absolutely not. She 100% had my vote. Connecticut has been the best team. And I think when you when you talk about how they finished the year, and I'm going to say this for all three of the award winners, because let's be honest, Connecticut swept everything. Um, I just don't know that there's an argument for anyone else above Jones. I mean, obviously, Asia Wilson has had a phenomenal year. Brittany Griner's had a phenomenal year. Brianna Stewart, if, if Stewie hadn't gotten hurt, you know, and, and, you know, she's still playing and Seattle's still playing and you know, that, that they didn't really teeter off as much as they did towards the end of the year. Maybe it's a different story. Um, but no, it's it's a, it's very clearly John Quell Jones, and she 100% had my vote. Yeah, like it, it wasn't even a question in my mind. I think no. the more interesting aspect about this is where the votes go. And, and the way the voting goes in the W, I don't know about in the NBA or other professional sports league, the way the voting goes is essentially – you're given a list of five players and you vote them. And if you say you put John Quell in the first place vote, that's 10 points. Uh, second place vote is one is sorry, seven points. Third is five, four, seven, three, fifth is one. So you can basically rank the players. Uh, and that's how the, the scoring system goes. John Quell Jones uh, had a total of 487 total points and 48 first place votes. Only one second place vote. Somebody put her number two, which I would love to know who did that. But then the only other person who got a first place vote was Brittany Griner. I'm not upset about that. In the order, uh, just based off of total points, based on the total point breakdown that I just explained, it goes John Cole Jones with like well over 200 points more than Brittany Griner, then Stewie, then Sylvia Fowles, then Tina Charles. And here's the shocker. Then Asia Wilson. Yeah. Skylar Diggins comes in after Asia Wilson. Arike Gumbawali comes in. In third to last, ahead of Candace Parker and ahead of Bree Jones. I'm confused as all hell as how Arike got on this list. Um, I'm not, like not even in a rude way, honestly, like say the same about Candace Parker with the amount she was injured or whatever. Like I'm cool with the top people, right? But th- there's some interesting ones. Somebody gave uh, Arike Gumbawali a third place vote, which means 
They had her as the third best player in the league this year. That's interesting. I assume that's a homer. Um, any, any shockers for you of people who were included in this or should have been higher in the list in your mind? I think it's absolutely fascinating. Like some of these, some of these breakdowns and numbers. I mean, I you know again, I mean, it's all, it's all dependent on someone's opinion on what an MVP is. So I mean, I understand Dallas made it to the playoffs. I understand Enrique is a phenomenal offensive player. I just don't know. To me, it was very clearly. I think Asia Wilson is not getting enough credit that she deserves. I mean, you know, with, with how dominant Las Vegas has been this year, she's played every single game. We all know, you know, with Liz Cambage being out, where the ball is going to go. And, and I think she's been incredibly consistent now. I think it's fair to say it's not her MVP season, but like to have some of these players above, I, I, I don't know. That, that's how, how is Asia Wilson the leading player for the number two team in the league placed below Tina yeah, Charles? I, like, Here's my thing. And we've talked about this. Rachel and I were both voters. Humble brag, whatever. Um, very No, all right. One sec. We should say this. For Rachel and I, and I'll speak for Rachel on this, and then Rachel will tell me that she disagrees or agrees. Um, we are both extremely honored to be voters in this, and we take it extremely seriously. We spend a lot of time looking at, you know, advanced stats, simple stats, you know, eye tests, things like that, because in our opinion... These votes, these awards shape the legacy of not only the league, but these players, right? When they try and get into the Hall of Fame, it's going to be, okay, were they an MVP? Were they first team all defense, second team all defense, first team all... Like, these awards directly impact the legacy of not only this player, but the league. And so I honestly don't even know if there's a more important role for the media when it comes to a longevity impact on the league. No, I agree. I agree. Right. And I, I think that there's a big responsibility there, you know? So I think, I know, I, I know you and I both go back and forth. We, we debate a lot. Like you said, a lot of the, the research there, you know, I think it has to be taken seriously, but it is interesting, you know, to see the breakdown of the numbers and, and the way some people view things. I just, it, if, if we're talking about a top three, it's gotta be, you gotta, you, we can't just forget about Brianna Stewart um, and, and the, in the year that she had, we can't, um, undermine Asia Wilson and, and how consistent and steady she's been with the, one of the most dominant teams in the league. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like we just look at the aces as just a collective unit and not how are they as good as they are. Um, and I think Brittany Griner deserves to be in the conversation, especially with the dominant play of the second half and really as a whole, the entire year. Um, Tina Charles, obviously MVP offensive numbers. Um, can't deny that, you know, there was very, a very depleted, Washington roster, but I, I think it's so much more than just how many points are we putting up? How many areas are you, how, how are you affecting the game on both ends of the court? And I think there's some defensive question marks there. Um, when you look at or John, just team or just team success, yeah, like I'm, I'm not sitting here saying Simone Augustus should have been the MVP her rookie year because she scored them so many points. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's gotta be, when I look at the MVP, it's the entire body of work how your team is impacted when you're on the court and when you're off the court, when you're not there, which there's an argument to be talked about with Stewie. There's an argument to be talked about, obviously, with John Cole Jones when she missed those games. Um, but I think that it – and team success, that's a huge one for me. You know, if you're going to be the most valuable player and how you impact your team, where did your team finish? If you didn't make the playoffs, I'm sorry. You're not getting votes from me. I'm sorry. Um, I just want to say uh, – let, let's talk about this real, real quick. We're not going to go into the – you know, the all team awards, because that can take a while. Rachel and I will be doing a whole award episode. Don't worry, fans. 
But uh, before the second round of the WNBA playoffs, Sylvia Fowles was named Defensive Player of the Year with 31 votes. Very interesting um, to see who else was on this list, okay? Just a, of the top players vote-wise. Brittany Sykes was number two with six votes. John Quill Jones was number three with four votes, tied with Brianna Turner of the Mercury. Right below her was Brittany Griner with two votes, Brian January, and Jasmine Thomas of the Connecticut Sun. So three Connecticut Sun players. We're up there for Defensive Player of the Year. And two Phoenix Mercury players, one Spark and one Minnesota Lynx. Uh, the interesting aspect for me is, in my mind, like the biggest competition was John Quell versus Sill, right? And, and I saw, and props to the LA Sparks for getting out all that information and really pushing the Britney Sykes narrative. I think that's what the PR job and and the, the team's job is to do, right? Is to hype up their own players. So I give them props for that. But the interesting aspect for me is like, when I was looking at the numbers, it truly came down to Sill or John Quell. And it was more so in my mind, whatever, we can get into that differently. I just found that that aspect interesting. Is that interesting to you, Rachel? Of course it is. Of course it is. And also, let's let's talk about Brianna Jones. Let's talk about Kurt Miller. I think that Coach of the Year um, is very deservingly, was very deservingly won by Kurt Miller. I mean, I know other 41 votes. Next up was Cheryl Reeve with six. Then Bill Ambeer and Noel Quinn with one each. I know that there's an argument to be made for everybody, especially Cheryl Reeve. Um, it's just not, it's just not even close in my eyes. It's not, I, I, I don't know what, I don't know. I would love, I, I, I need to know more of the logic <laughs> because, you know, Kurt Miller has built this into a championship contention franchise, finished the season on a 14 game win streak, double by number one in the league. I mean, what else does the man have to do to get, to get the right? Oh, here's, let me, let me do our classic show right. devil's yeah, Because you were one of them. And I was like, Aria, I, come on, man. Now wait, now wait. I don't know if it, I, I said this, I don't know if it's taboo, if I'll be like kicked out of voting again, if I say who I voted for. I did vote for Kurt Miller. This was my thing, was when you look at, and, and the reason I came to Kurt Miller was, after our discussion, after our debate, Rachel. Now, first of all, I just want to say this. An argument cannot be made for everyone. There's no way. I'm sorry. Whoever voted for Noel Quinn, I know you're probably based in Seattle. Like, <laughs> Noel Quinn, she starts halfway through the season, starts off with, like, a couple good game win streak, and then just the rest of the season was a complete disaster tank. So I understand you got your vote in at a certain point, but even at that point when the deadline for the voting was, there, it was clear she should not be in the discussion for coach of the year. And honestly, I would argue even that if you only coach half a season with a team that played better the first half of the season, there's whatever. Long, what My thing with Kurt Miller was, while I do agree that he did an amazing job coaching, when I look at this team, like I was more impressed with what he was able to do coaching-wise last year with having to turn Bree Jones into the position that we've seen her now. Um, you know, they replaced Alyssa Thomas, a player who probably should be in MVP discussions with John Cole Jones, a player who won MVP and we all knew was going to be in MVP discussions if she played last year or this year. So for me, it was more so like I tip my cap to Kurt Miller more so for like the roster. Obviously, the coaching's well, the defensive end, the stiflingness of the defense is what made me go, you know what? There's no other coach in this league that I'm looking at this season and going, I'm impressed with either offensively, defensively, or overall production, right? But they did what they did without Alyssa Thomas. And you forget that in 
before the season started, being able to make that long-term commitment to AT and play shorthanded the entire year, understanding that, okay, yeah, we don't have arguably our, 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 one of our top two franchise players, the engine that makes us go, we're going to show that long-term commitment to her. That way we don't lose her to somebody else, play shorthanded and still have the year that they've had. Come on, man. Then, I mean, honestly, that, that decision didn't get as criticized as much as I, I actually thought it might. Um, and it worked out. I mean, and that's, that's the, that's the cool thing. Like that was at that point, I remember talking to Kurt and him being like this, people are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think I'm crazy, you know, but, and that was a tough, you know, decision to make, you know, especially when you're talking about a season and you knew John Clell was going to be gone for parts of it. Um, I just think that that decision alone, and now obviously we have AT back and that, that's, that's great. Happy to see that she's recovered and phenomenal that she's even out on the court. Now I don't know that anyone expected that at that time, but the decision to, to keep that long-term commitment and play shorthanded this year and still have the success with this roster is absolutely phenomenal to me. And I'm, I'm very impressed with the job that not just Kurt, but his entire staff has done. No. So I agree with you. I, I say this though, and this is, I get very particular. My, everything you said, I completely agree. I'm not disagreeing, but a lot of that in my mind is attributed to, and, and this is a huge compliment. Don't take it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. His ability to mesh GM Kurt and head coach Kurt. Sure. We see it all the time as an issue. GM Kurt might say, we need Alyssa Thomas for the long term. Mm -hmm. But we also can't play, you know, only eight deep for the whole season. Yeah. But Coach Kurt goes, we've been playing eight deep for my whole tenure as a head coach. We'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like, I just saw, I saw it more so. And there's not an award for it. And that's where it got particular for me, where I felt like some of the things that put him over the top to be the clear favorite for Coach of the Year were also aspects of his GMing. Now, that being said, as I said to you when we were arguing about this... <laughs> I wasn't just going to give it to Kurt, but there wasn't anybody else that had a real argument in my mind to win it. And that's when it became obvious that it was Kurt. Above. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's how do you now, put someone else above John Paul Jones after the body of work that she put together this year? You know, you, yeah. just, you just can't. Well, so this is the one that I'm particularly peeved about. Brianna Jones wins most improved player, 38 votes right below her. Kelsey Plum with eight votes, Marina Mabry with two, and Benajah Laney with one. Benajah Laney, I find hilarious getting one. Um, <laughs> did she improve from last year? Yes. Was it as large a jump as some of these other players? Not in my mind at all. Like, whatever. Marina Mabry, I'm very proud and happy that she got some votes. I think she probably should have gotten more votes, but that end of the season and her not starting definitely hurt her. Yes. My, my vote was for Kelsey Plum. Mm -hmm. And the reason I went for Kelsey Plum over Bree Jones is when you look at just a year-by-year -year comparison. And I know what the argument about like teams now are game planning for Bree Jones when they weren't last year. But what we saw from Bree Jones in the bubble, in the wobble, the growth from 2019 to 2020 was, in my mind, exponentially better than what we saw from 2020 to 2021. That's what my beef is. It's not a knock to Bree Jones. I just think... She's already made that improvement. Yeah, when you look at those and, specific numbers from year to year, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and, and we're basically giving her an award because she didn't win it last year because Benajah Laney was so good last year. But if you look at Kelsey Plum, and granted she didn't play last year due to the Achilles injury, but you look at Kelsey Plum and you go, well, from the last year she played to this year, now that's a big jump. 
that's that's my take. No, I think that that out of all three that we've talked about today that came out today, I think that's the one that really deserves it, some warranted debate. And I think that that has the most room for for discussion in terms of you know whether it ends up being Mabry. I think that <clears throat> there's this very strong argument there. Mabry had a phenomenal year. I mean, Kelsey Plum as well. I mean, I honestly question you know some of the some of the um, respect <laughs> that Las Vegas is kind of they're flying under the radar right now a little bit um, in some ways. But I also think that some of those awards are going to come out six women of the year. I think I would be shocked if that's not plums. Um, yeah, yeah, most, most improved. I agree with you. I think that there is definitely room for debate and discussion. And especially when you sit down and look at those numbers specifically, shout out to you. You really brought that up to my attention. I was like, you're interesting here, but that's not to discredit the role that Brianna Jones has stepped into. And the, I think for, for me, it's the, the way she's carrying herself out on the court and the type of player she has become and evolved into it's a steady progression from now last year was a big jump. Now this year, you know, with, with JJ back on the court, the majority of the season and Brianna Jones still has the year that she has, you know, we, you, you would have thought there could have potentially been a dip or um, not as much production because JJ's now back with this team. So I think that, you know, again, we can talk about this until the cows come home, but, um, there, there is, I agree. There, there is room for more discussion on that one for me. Side note, uh, like going into the season, talking about the sun, a big question mark in my mind. Um, I believe you semi agreed with me on this was how the pairing of Bree Jones and John Quill Jones, uh, or JJ squared. I don't know, whatever. Um, how, how all of that would work. Um, but now I find, and, and similarly with the aces, how Asia, and Liz are going to work. And I find it amazing and hilarious just in the history of the W as everyone's trying to push this stretch five, Lauren Jackson and Lisa Leslie are the greatest bigs of all time. We're seeing a resurgence of the importance and heck even BG and, and Brianna Turner. You know what I mean? Like honestly, the sky are the only team in these playoffs that don't have that like typical true big. Sure. Um, and you could say, oh, you know, Steph Dolson, fine, but she shoots too many threes and wants to shoot too many threes for me to fully. And then obviously there's nuances to it, but it's just something interesting, I think, uh, just, you know, trend wise. All right. Now, I just want to put this caveat out there before we jump into the sky versus the sun. And may, you can jump on this caveat if you want to, Rachel. I'm trying not to fall into the trap of picking the lower seeded team because of we recently saw them play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like. We go into these series, and I feel like it happens often during this playoff format. We go into this series, we see these teams that have played recently, and we're impressed by what the Sky did against the Minnesota Lynx. We're impressed by what the Mercury were able to do the past two games. But we almost forget, because it's been, what, like two weeks now since we've seen the Connecticut Sun play, since we've seen the Las Vegas Aces play. Mm -hmm. So I'm really trying to take a step back and not give in to that because this is a series. This isn't do or die. Sure. Uh, let's talk about the Chicago sky and the Connecticut sun. What are the, the importance? What are the keys in uh, the elite basketball mind of Rachel Gallagher? <laughs> oh, that's quite the, the compliment there. Thanks. No, I, I really think I, I completely really, take it back. I yeah. actually have a piece that's coming out like right now. I hope, hope everyone likes it. I like to go check it out. I like my, like to put my thoughts together sometimes. Um, you know, obviously I, I'm a big fan of both of these these teams. I think what's fascinating about this is the Sky did beat Connecticut twice in the regular season, but without John Quell Jones, 
and without Kurt Miller, you know, that, that was at the period of time where Kurt was um, back home kind of tending to his mom. So um, not only does Connecticut look completely different, um, the Chicago sky looked completely different, you know, as to who they were back in July. So I think that this is really unique from a standpoint of neither team has seen each other at, at full strength, if you will. Um, and, and I mean, in terms of, I was talking to James Wade and in terms of like, even the scouting reports, I said, so like, you know, how much can you even look at that film without John Paul Jones on the court? And like, and it really strategized. He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of tough, you know, you've got to be able to take some action out of it. You, you, you kind of take some personnel pieces, but you're right. In some ways you kind of have to just throw that out because the presence that she brings on that, on the court for Connecticut and let, let's not forget Alyssa Thomas too, you know, having those two back on the court, I mean, it's a whole different ball game. So, um, and another thing I thought was fascinating and, and Kurt brought this up in his press conference yesterday, he said, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, having that double buy is great for rest. Um, I'll make an argument that sometimes that double buy, it's almost too much rest. Like, like mm-hmm. Chicago might have a little bit of an advantage. Like they've got their legs underneath them. They've got a flow going right now. Wouldn't be surprised if it took Connecticut a little bit to kind of get going. But Rachel, real quick, not to, not to cut you off. No. When you say, I completely agree with you on that. Is like, do you see that for the whole series or is that no. just like a game one? thing? No, just like a game one thing, you know, okay. and, and whether it's a nervous jitters or just, you know, if the first quarter and, you know, and, and honestly, it may not even happen at all. I think that's, that's, that's an interesting thing just to always, I'm always aware of, of like, okay, they haven't played in nine days. Chicago just played a couple days ago. How does that play a factor, if any? And it may not. Um, but you have seen at times where like, you see this a lot in college and, and a lot of us coaches would talk about, you know, you get that, you get that double buy in the you know, conference tournaments and teams are iced, you know, they just come out flat, they're iced, they mm-hmm. almost had too much, too much rest. Now, um, I don't think that's talked about as much in the WNBA, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I, I just, I think it's an interesting thing to just kind of be aware of and, you know, kind of see like, how does Connecticut come out of the shoot compared to Chicago just playing two days ago, but um, d- impact on the series, that's not, not, in my opinion, that has no factor. Um, so Kurt was saying that, you know, obviously the coveted double buy is great. You get rest and, and you can kind of focus on yourselves. But from a, from a game planning perspective, it's, it's not an advantage because, you know, we're sitting there. We didn't know until literally late on Sunday night who we were going to play. So, so we're doing scouting reports on all three teams trying to strategize who we might potentially face. Whereas Chicago knew if we win, we're, we're going to play Connecticut. So there's kind of a, almost a little bit of an advantage to Chicago in ways of, of knowing in advance who your next opponent might be. And I thought that was interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. Um, anyway, I, I, I think that this is going to be really fun. I think it's going to go to five. Um, I think Chicago's playing their best basketball right now. There's no doubt about that. They're, they're defending as best as they have defended all year. Um, and I think that that is obviously extremely important. I mean, you know, when you're looking at two teams like Chicago's ability to push the ball and, and push the pace versus Connecticut, who wants to kind of slow it down and, and really grind it and make you work for everything that you have. It's two contrasting style styles of play. And I love that. Um, I think that, you know, Connecticut has got to keep their turnover numbers down. It comes down to transition defense for them and being able to keep up with Chicago. They've got to be on par. Chicago's got to be able to defend and match up with JJ and rebound. Um, for Chicago, they, they can't have careless turnovers, especially, you know, late in the game. Um, at times it kind of feels like it has been an Achilles heel for the last few years at times, but I think this is a really, really, really interesting matchup. I have Connecticut winning it all. 
um, in five, just because, again, that overall consistency standpoint, Chicago has not shown me enough this year to talk about consistency. Yeah. I mean, look, before, after the second round, we did our gut reactions. It seems like you're sticking with it, Sun in five. I'm very compelled to stick with Sun in four, Sky winning the first one because of that consistency. Mm -hmm. It's tough to know in a series what we're going to get out of the team. I have the utmost confidence in both coaches. I have the utmost confidence in both teams because you have that veteran presence in Chicago, but can Chicago keep that calm that we saw in round two, right? Like we haven't truly seen this Chicago team in this situation. We haven't seen the semi since 2016, right? Like I want to see from this team, okay, we're going to put a complete series of multiple games together. And that's why I'm going to cop out and I'm going to stick with sun and four. Like I think the sky come out firing, but I don't know if I have enough faith consistency wise to see them do it for three full games to win that series and to do it before, you know, the sun are able to do that. So that that's where my question is. I completely agree. I think for me, it's, it's an amazing battle because it's the defense for the sky. It's the question mark and the offense for the sun and completely agree. Could not agree more with what you're saying about the transition game that I think that's going to be the thing. If you're a fan watching this series, watch transition points. I know it's not a stat that's easily accessible because the announcers don't always say it. ESPN doesn't have it. So you got to go to some advanced stat site to get that. But that's going to be the kind of the singular stat that I'm going to keep my eyes on turnovers and transition points, because it's literally going to come down to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and and that, 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 that goes with both teams. I mean, Chicago's got to be able to get themselves going quickly. You know, to have that confidence early on, to see the ball go through the net, um, to be able to get out and run and play the way they want to play. And how do you do that? Well, you've got to allow your defense to translate to your offense. And that's getting up and, and being aggressive at that point of attack, right? Getting up into passing lanes, turning Connecticut over. Um, you know, kind of what they did to Minnesota. I mean, they punished them on turnovers, converting those to, to, to points, you know, and easy points. So I think if Chicago can get started fast and early, not just in game one, but in the series, you know, you can't get down two games. You're done. You're done at that point. So it's Chicago has got to steal one of the, I mean, I would say they probably need to win tonight to have a shot in this series, um, but, but to be able to get out early and see the ball go through the net and have that confidence, allowing that your, your defense to feel the offense is huge. There was, there was a line from Sue bird uh, when she was mic'd up coaching, <laughs> that was a joke coaching the uh the seattle storm against the phoenix mercury and there was a point where she said when she was mic'd up she said you know they're gonna eventually miss a shot we gotta just keep going like and it's almost like running a race right just eyes forward keep sticking with the game plan doing what you're doing you can't i think often especially in series or when you're going up against really good teams it's very easy to fall into the trap of saying hey this isn't working change the game plan right now mid series and that that sometimes is called for but a lot of times it's not going to work uh all right well we did our prediction so i don't even need to do you think actually you know what you said it's going to five i think chicago wins tonight i'm sticking with a chicago victory what about you that would be big i don't know i there's no doubt that chicago has the pieces the talent to go win a championship. Like if they were to just completely click on all cylinders and just set the world on fire and and rip through these next few weeks and win a championship, like it would be 
secretly the, the Illinois girl in me would be just blown away and, and excited, not blown away because I'd be shocked, but just, you know, it would be really cool to see. I just, then I come back to the logical me and um, who this team has shown us to be throughout the year. I think they're going to make it very, very, very interesting. I think Connecticut will win tonight. Chicago might steal Thursday. Um, but I still think, I still think the sun are just going to be too much. I have, I have the sun tonight. All right. I'm writing it down. Let's move on to the Mercury and the Aces. What are the keys to you? Well, um, you know, I think obviously this is a great matchup with so much star power on the court. I mean, it's like overwhelming, you know, with like Phoenix and, and their roster. I mean, if you look at Las Vegas, I think anytime we're talking about Grider and Cambage, um, going head to head is, is great. Cambage, you know, is expected to play. She's still coming back and getting herself into game shape. And so, um, will be a little bit restricted in terms of the spurts and which in which she can play in. But I mean, anytime you see Griner and Cambage going going toe to toe, I mean, it's like this neutralizing effect of just dominance, right? Who's going to um, be assert themselves as the most dominant post player, you know, in the paint in this series? I think that's always so much fun. Love that. Um, I just when push comes to shove, it's really interesting. You know, you look back at the, the three matchups so far this year. Um, I think that they've actually been closer than I would have expected. You know, um, I think Phoenix did steal one. Um, there was an overtime game in there. You had the GC Park block, which was super exciting just a few weeks ago, it felt like. So um, this is a good matchup. I, I just feel like Las Vegas has so many weapons and I question the depth of the Mercury. You know, they've, they've, they've been tested very tough these first two single elimination games right it took Sophie Cunningham having a career night offensively to to push Phoenix in in round one and then and then and then you know we saw that game the other night that that ended up going to overtime you know it it easily could have gone the other way so I think that fatigue plays a big role in this Um, Las Vegas has a really big advantage being rested and with the depth that they have right now, I look at Mercury. They looked a little bit gassed in that second game, and and I feel like Las Vegas has got to be sitting here thinking like we've we've just got to wear them down more than they already are. I just don't know if Phoenix has what it takes to sustain that. What they need to do offensively and finding someone that third scorer outside of Skylar Dickens Smith and Griner to be able to 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 win three in a series. Yeah, no, I, I feel like you're reading my show notes. I think. You know, every game we talk about the Mercury, the key is rebounding. No question. Like, what, which BG is going to show up? But what I saw from the Mercury in those two do-or-die games is a series-style game in both of them. Players stepped up and embraced it and took it in stride. And, you know, the, the way we saw, similar to Chicago, when there was bumps in the road, they stayed cool, calm, and collective, even when Diana Taurasi was not in the game. And maybe not even suited. And that's something that, you know, we can talk about the DT effect, whatever. One of the things that she has an effect on, and we saw in the second game against Seattle, was when she's out there, even if she's not making shots, she's finding ways to be impactful. And that's the key aspect. That's what I like to see. Having Diana Taurasi as a role player, the third, maybe even fourth scorer on your team, is such an important aspect. I agree with you. They looked gassed. It's going to come down to that. But honestly, I think a lot of it's going to come down to kind of just, you know, the Aces mindset, right? The Aces have Liz and Asia. It's going to be an amazing battle of Bree Turner and BG going up against those two. 
I look at this and I kind of go, okay, whichever, you know, double team of the bigs is going to win the battle is going to be the defining feature for this series. Because while I agree with you, you know, the, the Mercury look gas, they're going to need an extra score. They're going to need someone else to step up. BG is that player. And I mean that in the sense of she's that type of player who can essentially make up for not having a third score. If BG is going to play the level that we've seen recently, the level that, you know, we have all wanted to see from her throughout her whole career. I think this is the type of thing where we're going to see defensively it have an impact on Liz and Asia. And that's where I think it's, it's going to go where I start to question, could this actually happen? Could it happen? Um, the big question for me. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I, I don't. I will, I'll, I'll, just, I'll interrupt you. I, <laughs> I. This is where I think Las Vegas has the advantage with the way Kelsey Plum is playing, with what Jackie Young can do from fifteen to seventeen feet. Um, we haven't even talked about Chelsea Gray and her level of experience. And no, she's going to make a crazy shot. Right. So I just across the board the weapons that Las Vegas has going up against maybe uh, you know. Diana Tarazi at 60%, a grinder who's playing phenomenal, um, a Skylar Diggins-Smith who's playing really well. But beyond that, I don't know how they match up. Las Vegas, it could be Kelsey Plum's night one night, it could be Asia Wilson's night, Jackie Young might go off, Hamby's going to come in. The depth of Las Vegas is overwhelming, and I think that they're shooting the ball so well from the perimeter. You know, I don't know if... if, if Phoenix in a series is going to be able to knock down enough perimeter shots to open up space for Grider to work. Vegas can do that a lot more. Being able to play both both complement each other, right? If you're dominating inside, it opens up people on the perimeter. If you're if you're knocking down shots on the perimeter, it opens up areas for, for Wilson and Cambage to work in. I just think Las Vegas has way too many um weapons being able to knock down shots and people who can score it. It just comes down to that to me for me. No, I look I agree with you. I'll say this though. My it's probably a slight amount of recency bias and then a slight amount of I just personally have not been impressed by the aces this season. Like there was never a point where I was looking at the aces going, wow, this is a team that I fear if I'm a coach. Wow. Like, yes, I agree with all the depth going into the season. We all said it. It's a disappointment for this team if they're not in the finals. Honestly, heck, even when not winning the finals has got to be a disappointment for this team, obviously. Losing Angel McCautry for the season is a big impact, but hey, maybe she pulls uh, Alyssa Thomas and shows up for the finals if they make it. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think like logically it all makes sense, but there's something in my gut that just can't allow me to be rooting for the not rooting, but like expecting the aces. Yeah, I understand that. I understand it's a. I also think this is the most talented aces team. That it's been a steady progression the last few years. And they're now at a point where we're in the semifinals. And for me, it's championship or bust after making it to the finals last year. Um, oh, other totally. Championship is a letdown. And, and I have high expectations of this team for a reason. Now, I don't know that they've played their best basketball. It's very possible that they do right here in the playoffs. Well, that's what we need to see. And, and again, it comes down to the fatigue. I mean, we talked about this in our reaction episode to the do or die second round of, in my opinion, and I know it's counterintuitive because in that same episode, I said I picked the Mercury in four and Rachel, you picked the Aces in five. Um, I think if it goes to five, the Aces win because of the exhaustion. But yeah. I will say, I think this is the round where we really start to see those teams, the lower seeded teams that had to play those do or dies in a short period of time yeah. are going to be gassed, like you said. And for me, it just kind of comes down to 
Can you struggle through it? And and that's why I liked what I saw from the Mercury this last game, where yeah. you're they looked gassed, yeah. they looked exhausted, they looked beat, but they just kept chugging forward. And that's what you need in a series. Now, very well, the argument against me is to say, well, if they were looking at the past game, think what they're going to look this game. I don't have a, I don't have a response to that, but yeah, uh, let's let's do this, Rachel. Pr- new prediction. Now that we've got some time to look at it, are you sticking with aces in five? And who wins tonight? Aces in four, and I have aces winning mm. tonight. They better win, right? Aces in four and win first game. I'm going Mercury. I'm gonna stick with Mercury and four just because I think it's a hot take, and the gambler in me is like hot take, bigger payout. So I'm gonna go. Aces in four. No, you just said Mercury in four. Which one? Is sorry, it? sorry, sorry. Well, I was reading what you <laughs> what I typed for you. Mercury in four, and they win tonight. Okay. I like it. All right, Rachel. Well, thank you so much. Let me remind our listeners: Winsider is your one-stop shop for all your WNBA news and conversation. We can't do it without your help. Become a subscriber at Patreon.com/backslash/Winsider for just a few dollars a month. You can help grow the game. The WNBA season playoffs. The regular season's done, but the playoffs are coming to an end soon. But that does not mean that our coverage is over. You know, during the offseason, Rachel and I will be doing podcasts, discussing free agency moves, discussing what teams need to do to get out of the lottery, so on and so forth. Make sure to tune in. Our coverage does not stop when the last buzzer sounds.